while back, I saw a cartoon in which a preacher had prepared his pulpit to look like a fortress. And he was hiding behind the fortress and peering through a crack in the machine gun hole, and the caption below the cartoon read, Today my text is 1 Peter 3.1, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And uh, that kind of uh, is how I feel today. Today we are studying uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and it's not a popular section. In our day and age of liberation and freedom, there are many people and, and many women who resent this whole idea of submission. In fact, I've titled this message, Most Unpopular Word in the Bible, because we, we bristle at this idea of submitting. But verse 7 isn't very popular with men either. Because it says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And that's not easy to do in an age of pride and big egos. But despite its unpopularity, this is what God says. And we should never make decisions based on whether something is popular or not. Our decisions should be shaped by pursuing God's will found in God's word. Now, if you think that that you're the kind of person that has to be convinced of each individual issue before you'll obey, then then I would suggest that you don't really understand the lordship of Jesus. There's a lot of people who say that they love the Bible, but their attitude toward the Bible depends on which passages they like and which passages they don't. But we obey Jesus because he's Lord. We don't get to vote on each individual issue. So before we ever get into the text today, I think the real issue isn't about husbands and wives, it's about the lordship of Jesus. Is he the Lord of your life? If so, then we do what he says. Still, for those of you who may doubt what Peter says, if if you think that what he says here is ancient, if you think it's archaic, if, if you don't think you need to follow what he says because you found a better way, if you think his his suggestions, his commands here send us backwards, then I would suggest to you, no, I don't think you've truly seen God's plan lived out. It reminds me of what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Andy Stanley shares the story of how years ago he was the groomsman at a wedding in Washington, D.C., And after the reception, the wedding party went to a restaurant to get something to eat. And they're talking there uh, as they're eating their food, and one of the bridesmaids asked him a question. She said, Andy, I heard a preacher say that the man had to be the head of a home because a two-headed home is like a two-headed monster. Is that what you believe? That the man is the head. And here's how Andy responded. He said, before I answer your question." Imagine you're married to a man who genuinely believes that you are the most fantastic person on the planet. He's crazy about you. You have no doubt that your happiness is his top priority. He listens when you talk. He honors you in public. To use an old-fashioned term, he cherishes you. He's not afraid to make a decision. He values your opinions. He leads, but he listens. He's responsible. He's not argumentative. You never have doubts that he would not give his life for you if the situation arose. You never worry about him being unfaithful. In fact, to 
quote an old flamingo song, he only has eyes for you. So at these talking, the, the people at the end of the table, they begin to, to lean in and they begin to listen too. And the longer he talked, he felt the walls begin to come down. When he finished, he paused and he asked, would either of you have trouble submitting and following a man like that? And the woman closest to him blurted out, heck no, I want to find that guy. And everybody in the table erupted in laughter. And that's really the point. It's easy, perhaps natural, to submit to someone who genuinely has your best interest in mind. There's no fear. There's no reason to resist. Conversely, anyone who has your best interest in mind has, in effect, already submitted to you. That person has chosen to, to leverage himself or herself for your benefit, basically saying, you first. And that really sets the stage for our text today. The theme of submission that we looked at in 1 Peter 2 continues into 1 Peter chapter 3. Last week we read about how Peter instructs us to submit to every human authority. Now Peter zooms in specifically to the marriage relationship between husband and wife. The big idea from this text is that husbands and wives demonstrate the power and truth of the gospel by how we relate to one another. Now, please hear me. This does not matter if you are married or not. Marriage is not the exclusive interest of married people. Marriage issues are gospel issues, and they concern the entire body of Christ. So all of us have a role to play, regardless if we're married, married and cultivating good, godly Christian marriages. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Let's begin reading. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's eyes. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. In the first six verses of chapter three, Peter focuses his attention to the wives. I want to share with you four ways wives can demonstrate the gospel through their marriage. The first two come from this initial command of wives to submit to their husbands. Now, as I mentioned earlier, most people would, would rather do anything than submit. A lot of people would rather get a nickelback tattoo than submit. They find the entire concept of submission offensive. Here's a few reasons why. First, submission, just in general, it goes against our flesh. Like, like our, our, our selfish, our, our flesh, our sinful desires always wants to elevate us above someone else. Second, the language of submission has been used to justify abuse over the years. 
And three, the language of submission has been used to treat women as less than men. And because of this, our culture and even many churches have said, we just need to get rid of this whole idea of submission altogether. And yet, despite these and other valid concerns that we might have, Scripture consistently uses the language of submission to describe healthy Christian living. In James chapter 4, verse 7, Christians are called to submit ourselves to God. Hebrews 13, verse 17, we are to obey our leaders and submit to them. Ephesians 5.21, we're to submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Romans 13.1, we're to be subject to governing authorities. Ephesians 5.22, Colossians 3.18, and here in 1 Peter 3, wives are called to submit to their husbands. So even though some may initially recoil at this idea, we must press in and see what submission is and is not about so that we can follow Jesus who himself cried out to his father before his crucifixion in Matthew 26, 39. He said, my father, if it is possible, may this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but what you will. So here's what submission does not mean. Submission does not mean inferiority. It does not mean that that wives are less than husbands, that women are less than men. Galatians 3.28 says that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All of us are equal at the foot of the cross. Submission does not mean submitting to all men. It says specifically to your husband, not to anyone else's husband, not to men in general, just to your own husband. Submission does not mean complying with sin. Wives, you are not bound to engage in sinful behavior if your husband demands it or asks you to do so. Submission does not mean suppressing your views and your opinions. Peter is not telling wives to suppress their own wills, their desires, their interests, their gifts to simply serve their husbands. No. Ladies, your ideas matter. Your gifts matter. Your perspectives matter in your marriage. They deserve to be heard. Submission does not mean blind obedience. He doesn't mean here that a wife is simply obligated to every command that a husband gives her. This is especially true, as we mentioned, if if he commands his wife to sin. but, But even in things that are not sin, the wife is not the slave of her husband. She's not his child. She's not an employee that reports to a boss. She is a wife, a partner. Submission does not mean staying or staying put if he abuses you. Submission does not mean that a woman should allow her husband to do anything he wants with her. And let me be crystal clear. If a husband is beating, harassing, or otherwise abusing his wife, submission does not mean that she needs to grit her teeth and take it. In that instance, a husband is not being a husband. He is being a criminal, and you should call the police. You should contact the authorities. If you're in that situation and you need someone to talk to, please come talk to one of our staff. Come talk to one of our elders. We want to help you. Jesus is not calling you to be the punching bag of an abusive husband. So if that's what submission does not mean, what does Peter actually mean when he calls wives to submit to their husbands? First, wives 
Honor your husband and his leadership. Honor your husband and his leadership. The key word here is your husband. In verse 1 and in verse 5, it says your own husband, okay, not someone else's. And Sarah is cited as an example in verses 5 and 6. She is said to have submitted to her husband as she obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, Peter gets this from Genesis chapter 18, where Abraham is told that his wife Sarah in her old age will give birth to a child. Genesis 18.9, the messengers say to Abraham, where is your wife Sarah? There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself, and she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Now we know from the greater context of this narrative that that Sarah scoffed at this idea. She laughed. She disagreed with, with Abraham about this, but even in that, she continued to show him respect. The submission that Peter has in mind here is not about obeying a command, but about honoring the position he had. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul shares that husbands and wives have different roles in marriage as a way to reflect the mystery of the gospel. Husbands are to look like and act like Jesus to their wives, and wives are to submit to and respect their husbands as the church does to Christ. So here's what this means practically, wives. This means you shouldn't seek to tear down or undermine your husband, either publicly or privately. By God's design, he has a role to play, and you can honor that design by the way you build up and the way you honor your husband. So for a wife to submit to her husband is to respect his leadership. Now, that does not mean that women cannot and should not provide leadership in the home. Many women are excellent leaders, and all women deserve to be heard and appreciated. Following the husband's leadership doesn't mean that he gets to make all the decisions. It doesn't mean that he gets to call all of the shots. It does mean that he is the one that bears the unique responsibility for leading the home. That he recognizes and he utilizes everyone's gift, and it ultimately means that he reflects the sacrifice of Jesus. And wives are called to cooperate with that and follow that leading. Now, a wife may ask, but but what if my husband's a bad leader? What if I'm a better decision maker? Well, again, leadership does not mean dictatorship. You can honor even as you disagree. You can work with your husband and follow his leadership even as you help him be good and and a Christ-like leader. But the other question is, but, but, but what if my husband's not even a Christian? What if he's not a believer? Well, the second way that, that wives submit to their husbands is, is wives demonstrate the truth of the gospel in your life. This really is an extension of the first point, but, but it deserves to be made explicit. The Christian wife is called to live as a Christian even if her husband is a bad husband even if he's an unbelieving husband. 
That is not justification for not acting like a Christian and honoring the role that a husband has. So this means even if he's an unbeliever, even if he's terrible, whatever, it cannot be your goal to tear him down, to undermine him, or to turn other people against him. Again, I will say it very clearly. If you are in an abusive situation, tell someone. But even then, there is a difference between telling the truth about your situation and creating deception, gossip, belittling, or otherwise dishonoring him. You say, well, why would I give a husband honor even if he doesn't deserve it, even if he isn't a Christ-like leader in the home? Well, Peter tells us in verses 1 and 2, that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Peter says that wives who show honor towards their husbands will testify in their conduct to the truth of the gospel. Some husbands who don't believe will come to faith in Christ as wives confirm the truth of the gospel by the way that they live. He says they'll be one without a word. Now, that phrase there, it does not mean that women are silent about the gospel. That is not what Peter is saying there. It means that a husband who knows that his wife is a Christian, an unbelieving husband who knows the gospel and has that, that gospel message confirmed and, and impressed upon them, that the wife, instead of constantly every day giving a gospel presentation to her husband, no, what she does is she can demonstrate the truth and the power of the gospel by the way she lives her life. That she can show what it looks like to love. She can show what it looks like to respect. She can show the beautiful qualities of the gospel by the way that she interacts with her husband in marriage. Third, wives, demonstrate the beauty of the gospel in your character. Demonstrate the beauty of the gospel in your character. Verse does not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles, wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. This next command has to do with internal versus external beauty. External beauty is marked by accessories and hairstyles and, and lavish clothing. Now, Peter does not condemn these things. This is not a legalistic ban on all fashion or beauty. He's not even saying that these things are inherently bad. What he is saying is, is that ultimately these things don't matter. And this actually would apply to both men and women. We live in a culture where we are bombarded with, with this, this, this idea that the most important thing about you is your appearance, how you look, the way you, you dress, the, the, the accessories that you have. And we are tempted every day in powerful ways by social media that it's all about appearance. What Peter is saying is you don't demonstrate the gospel to the world around you by placing utmost supreme value on external beauty. What matters is the internal beauty that the gospel produces in a woman. This beauty is unfading, he says. It's not like physical physical beauty that, that fades over time, but, but this, is, this is continuing, this is lasting. 
So wives, I want to ask you, do you put the same priority into cultivating your soul as you do in cultivating your look each day? Peter says it consists of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, that does not mean to to be silent and passive, but it means to be gentle, to show restraint, to be peaceful. So, So even women who have big personalities can still have a gentle and quiet spirit. And this beauty, this beauty is hidden from the world, but God sees it. Peter says that it is of great worth in God's sight. Remember 1 Samuel 16, 7, when they're going to choose the king, and they say man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at what? God looks at the heart. A wife that follows Jesus will confirm the truth of the gospel in her conduct. She will demonstrate the beauty of the gospel in her character. Wives, I want to ask you, whose attention matters the most to you? Fathers, Is this what we're teaching our sons to look for in a wife? Mothers, what cues are your daughters picking up from you? Number four, wives, fear God, not man. Peter calls on wives to reorient their point of reference in their marriage away from their circumstances and instead to put their hope in God. And then in verse 6, Peter says that Christian wives are the daughters of the ancient matriarchs if they do what is right and do not give way to fear. Remember, these Christian wives were were scattered about through the Roman Empire, and and many of them were in marriages and a part of families where the people didn't believe. Their family, their husbands didn't share their faith, and, and they may have faced persecution, they may have faced abuse because of their faith. And Peter encourages them, don't be afraid of them. They can't harm you. Wives, you may be in a difficult position, especially if your husband does not share your faith. And it'd be so easy for this to become wearying. This would be so easy for this to become a heavy burden for you. It'd be so easy for fear to creep in. But don't be afraid. Instead, look to God and fear Him. Now, there's also an application here for those of you who may not be married, but you long to be. You're not waiting to be married to be fulfilled spiritually. Because even these wives, their fullness in their spiritual lives is not found in their husband, but it's found by having their gaze set on the Lord and and having their desires met in God, not their husbands. That's what the fullness of following Jesus looks like. Now, in verse 7, Peter turns his attention to the husband's. He actually gives one command, but I'm going to break it up into three parts. The husbands, likewise, are called to demonstrate the gospel. Verse 7 says, husbands, in the same way. And that is a key phrase there, in the same way. This is applied to both the husband and the wife. Both spouses follow Jesus, the suffering servant. Although the husband does not fulfill the same role in marriage as the wife does to him, there is a fundamental identity of attitude. Both husband and wife are servants of God. Both of them seek to serve others for Christ's sake. So in the same way, husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. 
Number one, husbands, appreciate your wife's differences. He says, be considerate as you live with your wives. Recognize that she's different by God's design. In other words, you have to know that she's not a dude, appreciate the fact that she's not a dude, and don't treat her as though she's a dude, okay? If you do, you're foolish. I see this happen oftentimes with with newly married men. They, They just want to treat their wife as one of the guys, The person you hang out with the most is not one of the guys. And believe it or not, she doesn't want to be treated that way. Don't be rough with her. Don't be harsh with her. She is a woman. She's a daughter of God. And this is one of the things that is so insidious about domestic abuse. It takes the differences between a man and woman as something to be taken advantage of, to be used as selfish, prideful gain as though the wife existed for the husband's enjoyment, irrespective of her good and irrespective of her interests. But that is not what Peter's saying. He's saying live with her in a considerate way, understanding that she's different, and act accordingly. Reorient your behavior so that her uniqueness and her distinctiveness is appreciated and valued. Husbands, no one ought to know your wife and appreciate the distinctiveness about your wife more than you. Second, husbands, honor your wife as precious. As you recognize her to be different, honor her. Peter says, treat them with respect or honor as the weaker partner. Now that word weaker partner tends to trip people up. But it's really simple. All it means is that, generally speaking, women are weaker physically than men. And especially in Peter's context, in that society, women were much more vulnerable than men. She's vulnerable. And husbands, you can take advantage of that, but instead, you honor her. Think about the human body, okay? I think that my brain is pretty important, right? It's it's vulnerable, it's sensitive, so much so that it is, it is covered by a protective skull. I think my eyes are important, but, but if I get poked in the eye or I get some dust or dirt in my eye, like, it, it waters. It's, it, my eyes are, are, are sensitive, they're, they're vulnerable. But my elbow, I, I can bang my elbow on a table, I can use it to clear out some space on, on the basketball court. It's, my elbow's sturdy, it's, it's, it's durable. But that doesn't mean that my elbow is more valuable than my brain or my eyes. Women are not less than men any more than my eye or my brain, which is incredibly sensitive and vulnerable, are less than my elbow. This isn't an issue of worth here, okay? You don't treat a hard hat and a tiara in the same way, okay? A tiara is precious and it needs to be treated as such. You don't take it off and throw it in the back of the truck and say, who cares? No, you take care of it. You, you, you protect it. It's, it's different. It is countercultural in many ways to call women weaker in any sense. And to be sure, that this is not meant to say that women are weaker in every sense. Women are not, they are not weaker uh, uh, spiritually. They are not weaker intellectually. No. But what this is meant to say is, is husbands. When you see weakness, when you see vulnerability, you are going to have a temptation to either crush it or take advantage of it. But no, instead, honor her, value her, uphold her. Husbands, speak well of your wife. 
Recognize her virtues, praise them to her, and, and praise them to others. Husbands, I ask you this. Does your wife believe that apart from Jesus, she is the most precious thing to you? Does she believe that she's more precious than your job, more precious than your favorite team, more precious than your kids, more precious than you? Finally, number three, husbands, walk with your wives as gospel partners. Peter gives the reasoning here. He says that they are heirs with you of the gift of life. Both men and women together are recipients of grace, and they are destined for eternity with Christ. He's not saying you're going to have to put up with her for eternity. He's saying, husbands, treat your wives with honor and dignity and respect because the same grace that saved you is the same grace that saved her, and she will receive the same eternal life that you receive. In effect, Peter is saying, Jesus died for her too. You're not better than her. So see her as a partner in the gospel rather than a tool to manipulate. And then Peter closes with the consequence. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. It's kind of strange, right? Peter's looking at men and he's saying, God sees the way that you treat his daughters, your wives. Jesus laid down his life for those wives. And if you can't find it in your heart, in your interest, in your energy to appreciate her and honor her and value her and care for her and partner with her, then when you go to the Lord and you say, God, can you give me all these things? He's not going to listen. This idea comes from verse 12, which we'll look at next week. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord are against those who do evil. Husbands, how presumptuous is it for us to go to the Lord and say, God, care for, for my circumstances, care for me, care for my interest, but then to look at his daughters and say, I don't have any time for that. If we treat our wives way when we go to the Lord, he's not going to listen. He's not going to hear us. Husbands, if we want to walk with Jesus in life, the only way we're going to do that is if we walk with our wives in a way that demonstrates the gospel to her and to the watching world. So church, husbands, wives, children, single adults, may we take an interest in cultivating marriages that put on display a deep hope and a deep trust in God. Where's your hope? Do you find yourself resistant to hope? Do, do you find yourself resisting the authority that is in your life? If so, I simply want to ask, what does a resistance to submission reveal about where your hope really is? Let's pray together. God, I want to pray for the marriages in this church and in this community and in our country. God, I pray that, that we would understand that, that your way is the best way, and we have seen your way distorted so often throughout our world, and I pray that, that we, would, we would rediscover the, the heart of your plan, that we would understand what it really means when you call us to submit. And God, you have called us first and foremost to submit to you, 
God, I, are you the Lord of our life? That's a question that, that every one of us have to answer. And if we have not submitted to you, then we will never be able to truly and fully submit to the other authorities that are in our lives. God, I want to pray for any person in here who has never called upon the name of Jesus. Said, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. As my Savior, I'm accepting that, that, you, that you saved me from my sins, that, that you died the death that I deserved. But I'm also accepting you as my Lord, which means that, that I'm following you. Where you lead, I will follow. Your will, not my will, be done. So God, if there are walls in our heart that need to be broken down, I pray that you would crush them. And that we would follow you with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, with our strength. And I pray that as we leave this place, that we would say God's way is the best way. And I will follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.